Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? It's a little chilly and wet outside. I know, it's wonderful. I mean, for Los Angeles, it's a little chilly and wet. Here's the thing. 45 <laughs> degrees is actually chilly. I guess. I'll say, okay. I, I've said this to friends, uh, usually when I'm making fun of, like, Minnesota. But uh, my uh, my brother-in-law, who, who I get along with, he's a good guy, um... But I remember uh, years ago, um, I would talk about like how cold it was, and he's from Minnesota, uh-huh. and he'd say, well, what's the temperature? I'd be like, oh, like 20 degrees. This is when I lived in Chicago. And uh, he'd be like, that's not cold. And it's like, yes, it is. 20 degrees is cold. Minnesota, it's like, you know, it gets down to like negative 10, negative 15. That's, that's more than cold. That's like insane. Uh, and all, all respect to your, to your brother-in-law. Yeah. Um, in Minnesota, you don't have to stand on an L platform for 20 minutes waiting for a train. That's true. You know, I could handle negative 15 if all I'm doing is running from the house to the car and the car to the building. In Chicago, you know, we're pedestrians. So yeah, that's true. when it's positive 15, you're going to have to deal with it for 40 minutes at a time sometimes. Yeah. And so it's- that's why, I don't know, I feel like anyone who's spent a winter in Chicago has their bonafides when it comes to cold weather exactly 15 degrees i spent four cold you you more than i five or six right um you're like six years right yeah i get right around right around there but uh yeah but 46 and rainy and and wet it's chilly i won't go so far as say it's cold but it's chilly and it's a nice break for someone like myself who uh, detests warmth both emotional and otherwise <laughs> i don't i don't like the rain though you don't like the rain well, it's I like nice it every I, once in a while. I like it if I get to stay home. Oh, and you hear the the pitter pat yeah, outside. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You know, <laughs> you get your you know turn on the turn on the heat a little, little bit. You know, yeah. you get your snuggie. See, uh, and we don't actually have heat in our apartment, so uh, you don't have heat in your apartment. No, I thought you were going to say you don't have a snuggie, but obviously <laughs> everyone has a snuggie. We all have look. We all have snuggies. <laughs> Mine is camouflage. Do you really have a camouflage snuggie? No. Oh no, I have, a, I have a blue one. Oh, okay, yes. I shouldn't say I. it's my girlfriend's, but I use it. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, David. Oh, Happy New Year to you. What's your resolution? I don't know. Yeah, I don't have one. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what my resolution is? What? Recognize more non-white male action heroes. <laughs> See what I did? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I did what you do. Yeah, you did a little tra- transition. You've gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of re- uh, responses, mostly in the negative. Yeah. For last week's episode, and my response is, "Come on, it was Christmas break." <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit my head wasn't completely in the game. Yeah, last and I, week. I do believe in that episode we do mention, "Hey, we decided uh, to talk about this today, yeah. like on the day." And what's more is we decided to talk about one thing, spiraled into another, and then two minutes later we started recording. Yeah. You know, cut us some slack. I realize we should have prepared, but it was, as David mentioned, Christmas break. And, uh, we're taking and, it easy. And honestly, as as we've discussed before, um, in fact, even mentioned uh, last week, there are huge, at least for me, there are big holes in my, you know, film knowledge. And among the holes is martial arts films. Uh-huh. I understand that Bruce Lee is like a huge action hero. It's He's great. Uh, I've seen a couple of his movies. They were not my cup of tea at the very at least. I did not find him to be. I don't know because to me, he can fight amazingly, and that's great. 
but I never found him to have a great deal of charisma. I didn't find him, I don't know, I didn't like watching or listening to him unless he was fighting. So he's more of a Van Damme than a Schwarzenegger, you're saying? Yeah, maybe. Okay. I mean, does that? would you say that's... I, and again, I've only seen a couple, and I don't even remember the name. I saw the one with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay. And then I saw another one, the name in high school, the name of which I don't recall. But it's, I don't know, it, I feel like as far as action heroes go, it's not merely are they good at the action part. They need to be someone that we can get on board with and not merely because they're the best at this thing. Uh-huh. Not to imply that I thought Bruce Lee was bland or anything, but just, uh, I don't know, I, I didn't find him that dynamic. But at the same time, I haven't seen Enter the Dragon, you know, which everyone says is like the best the best one. It's really good. So, so yeah, so that's why, for me, that's why I didn't mention really any, you know, martial arts uh, films, because I just don't know much about them and haven't um, seen many. I'm, I'm reminded of when we, when we lived together and I had rented... Uh, Transitioning from Bruce Lee to Jet Li, mm-hmm. uh, I had rented Once Upon a Time in China, and you walked into the part at the end where he has like a bullet in the palm of his hand. He flicks it with his middle finger, and it kills a person. Okay, and I, see the, the difference. Like I think that's what did of, I do? That's almost like a, lit, a litmus test for <laughs> Are you going to like this kind of movie? Because my response was, "Oh, that's awesome," and your response was, "Did he just flick a bullet into a person?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to know that I haven't changed much as as a person. These days, I don't think I would, you know, I, I don't think I would rain on your parade. I think I would probably just leave. <laughs> right. So, but, uh, yeah. And then, of course, uh, we did not mention any, uh, someone discussed any, uh, like, African-American um, action heroes. Yeah. Uh, and we only we mentioned. Talked about, we talked about Wesley Snipes, didn't we? No, we didn't. We didn't. What were we talking about the Art of War for? I, I think you just happened to mention it as some kind of action thing. I don't remember. Okay, well, Wesley Snipes isn't that. There you go. But that's the thing is, honest, honestly, like, when it comes to... We're talking about... I guess I guess we did wind up talking about action stars more than action heroes. But ideally, I wanted to talk about, like, Indiana Jones, John McClane, Ellen Ripley, that kind of thing. Characters. But, yeah, characters. More than whereas, characters, yeah. But, we did, but with Schwarzenegger, we did kind of spiral into talking about stars and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, Wesley Snipes was really great uh, at the time. And he was, and there was a guy with actually a great deal of charisma. He's become something of a joke these days. But, man, he was fun. He was really fun to watch. Yeah, I've, I've always liked Wesley Snipes. Although, you know, you hear stories. Uh, you haven't heard any of the, like, Pat Oswalt tell stories from the set of Blade Trinity? No. <laughs> About how, like, Wesley Snipes only communicated with people through notes. Like, he didn't talk to anyone. I could see that. And he, no one was allowed to touch him. <laughs> I could see that. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> and Natasha Leone's character was blind, and she ad-libbed a thing where she, like, felt his face. Oh. And, <laughs> and every, I guess it was just very uncomfortable for everyone. All right. See, in my view, like, that's the best way to deal with Wesley Snipes. Like, okay, I don't have to talk to him. He's just giving me these notes. That's great. I don't have to deal with this man. I don't have to touch him. He actually doesn't want me to touch him. That's the way to deal with the troublesome stars. It's not, however, the way to make a good film. No, probably not. Evidenced by the fact that Blade Trinity is terrible. And and that's there's another uh, another hole in my movie watching. I haven't seen any of the Blade films. Um, I think you might like. I think 
there are things you'll like about the first one. Yeah, people say I'll love the second one. The second one is Guillermo del Toro, and yeah. so you'll probably like it. But you'll like Chris Christopherson in the first one. Because he's awesome. That's an interesting phrase, and not one people say a lot, I think. You'll like Chris Christopherson. Not that he's a bad actor or anything, but he's just one of those actors. You like Chris Christopherson, right? I guess so. I mean, what what have I seen him in? I saw him in Fire Down Below. Sure. I saw him him in uh, Payback. uh, Payback. You've seen him in um, Silver City. Did you see that one? I did see Silver City, yes. He's in that. And I saw, I think he was in Planet of the Apes, the remake. That movie's awful. He was. It was a really terrible. terrible film. Uh, another bad movie, that, but a fun bad movie that he's in is the 1970s version of A Star is Born with him and Barbara Streisand. That's, <sighs> that's fun. Let me ask you something. <laughs> now, here we have another hole in my uh, film appreciation. Barbara Streisand. I saw The Prince of Tides. Eh. You and I watched... Uh, shoot, what did we watch? Did we watch What's Up, Doc? Yeah. Okay, we watched that. I have not seen a great deal of uh, Barbara Streisand. What's the um, what's the deal with her? Like, well, I think What's Up Doc shows what I, I don't like the Prince of Tides, like the serious Barbara Streisand. Okay, stuff. maybe that's it. I like she, What's Up Doc, and then I know you're not a big musical guy, but if you see Funny Girl, okay, you'll get what she like. Why people love her? Funny I, Girl is kind of the the essence of Barbara Streisand for me. And What's Up Doc is also really, she's great in that. She's very I recall being frustrated by her character in What's Up Doc, but that's not a function of her. No. That's a function <laughs> of her character. Yeah. That's, that's, not her, uh, that's not her fault. Um, in fact, yeah, she is very charming. So maybe it's the fact, maybe it's the, because a lot of people have made jokes about her like taking herself way too seriously. Right. And I remember her in, in Prince of Tides. You saw, did we watch Prince of Tides no. together? I think we, I thought we did. But, um, and I remember what's fascinating is, because she directed it and, Nick Nolte is very good in it, and uh, but in the film he's talking about uh, he, he keeps talking about oh just how beautiful and how amazing this woman is and like oh I just can't get her out of my mind and Barbara Streisand Barbara Streisand casts herself in the role <laughs> and she, she she's definitely a, a strong presence there's no question about that and I don't like to be the type of person that says like ah she's not attractive enough to be to fit this description I don't like to be that guy but I think I have to be she's not she's Barbara Streisand she's not you know I don't know they could have put someone like they could put like uh, Angelica Houston or something in that uh, okay. in that role, as terrible as that sounds, <laughs> and it just it seemed almost like an almost vanity kind of thing. That uh, yeah. well, I'm directing it, and this person is described as beautiful and striking. I see only one part, <laughs> only one actor for that. But uh, that sounds awful. I'm sorry to say that. Um, before we get into the topic, I also want to mention uh, uh, a friend of both of ours, Ryan Gallagher from the Criterion Cast. Uh, yeah. He suggested that that I we should have talked, or I, I should have talked about it since you haven't seen it. Uh, Gina Torres in Serenity, the Firefly movie. And I saw a, Serenity. You did, yeah. But you haven't seen the series. I saw a few episodes of the series when we lived together. Don't even. Ugh. You did it all wrong. <sighs> you, when you say I did it all wrong, you mean like starting this podcast, continuing to talk to you, stuff like that. I'm not sure where things started to go wrong for you. It was probably before I even met you. <laughs> Uh, but say that's about right. <laughs> you you did it all wrong. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a really great. She's, uh, you know, I wish the Serenity thing 
could have become more of a franchise. Yeah. It, she's a very good, uh, she would be a good franchise type of character. Did the movie not do well? Um, I don't know. I don't think it was that expensive to make, and I right. think it, I, I don't know how it did in the box office. I'm sure it's made its money back on DVD. Right. Which is probably the reason they greened it in the first place, is it was pretty much guaranteed to make its money back eventually. And I find myself wondering if, I mean, if they, if they made another, let's say they made another Firefly movie. I bet it would do well, actually. Not great. Again, it doesn't, if it, if it didn't have a huge budget, uh-huh. um, I think it could do well because, I mean, the power of DVD has really, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, uh, like the first Austin Powers did only okay. Not great, uh-huh. not terrible. But then, like, on home video and stuff, it gained a, an audience. And then when the second one came out, that one, like, broke all kind all kinds of uh, comedy box office records and stuff. So I think they could turn it into a franchise if they tried, but they I don't should. know. Gina Torres is a, you know... She's a beautiful Amazonian type woman. She's the perfect like female action star. Man, she's like seven foot three and gorgeous. Man, you and I sound really rough today. Just uh, me talking about how much of a monster Barbara Streisand is. You describing women as Amazonian. This is this is why we didn't bring it up last uh, last episode. But because um, you know Barbara Streisand's such a great action hero. But um, now. I have trouble actually revisiting Serenity from time to time. Okay. Generally, because it's a movie that makes me very sad to watch it. Okay. Um, there, there's a lot of sad stuff about it. Sort of people yeah. facing facts about their their leaders, their government. You know. Yes. Um, and, and of course, on loss. A personal level, dealing with with the loss of loved ones. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Movies about sadness or sadness in movies. Yeah. This is not, I want to, before we get into it, I want to make it clear this is not a list of movies that make us cry at the end. Right. Or throughout. Right. The, the, uh, although there is some overlap there. Yeah. But this is really movies about that either have a general tone of sadness yeah. or are about a sad character or a group of characters living their yeah. lives. It's the, a depictions of sadness i'm not even sure i'm just gonna call it sadness in movies yeah so let's get into it shall we okay now uh you you brought this topic up to me and uh and it was in response to something specific and i don't remember what it was it was um the recent uh animated film the illusionist by sylvain chamay which is um which is a really wonderful film i think even better than his previous uh the tributes of belleville which is also a, a wonderful film great but um the Illusionist is a comedy, for you know, first and foremost. It has lots of sort of extended, like, the visual gags or bits, mm-hmm. you know, um, routines or whatever. But it also has a just general feeling, sort of a mist across the whole the whole the top of the whole movie of, yeah. of sadness because this guy is an aging magician. Mm-hmm. He's not getting, he, you know, he's playing these music halls that are usually, usually not very well attended, or he's playing, uh, you know, he gets his best response from an audience in the basement of a pub in in uh, in Scotland, mm-hmm. um, and you just 
you're just realizing at the same time that he is that like this guy is making money day to day as a magi- magician, but he clearly isn't set up for retirement right. in any way. And this is all he's. I mean, he's at this age. This is all he has. Yeah. And he he just got to keep doing this until he either uh, dies or becomes too destitute to carry on. As we see some other circus type performers in the film, either. You know, if they're still they still have enough pep, they can go on to corporate the corporate world, and then there's some that just become homeless drunks, right? Uh, and then, uh, and then of course the, the I don't, I don't want to you know no spoilers. So okay, uh, there's a yeah, it's a new film. The other the main story of the film is that this young woman who he met who saw him at the pub in Scotland ends up traveling with him, and he sort of becomes her like caretaker or whatever hmm. and um there's some sadness in that too but i it would no. be kind of a spoiler to talk any more about it okay so they both die at the end is what you're saying <laughs> everyone they everyone all... dies at the end <laughs> everyone everyone we see in the film dies at the end <laughs> um it's it turns out it's an apocalypse film yeah um yeah it's it's interesting because now when we discuss movies that make us cry um i'm not i'm not going i'm not going to call those tear jerkers because i often well up at movies that are not specifically trying to make me cry. Uh, there's something very exploitative and shameless about a movie that one would call a tearjerker. Right. Um, but uh, but these but these movies that are sad, like I don't know, they are about sadness or or, or what have you. Um, there movies does that make me cry, by the way. Yeah. Are often. I cry more at like some sort of like triumph or happiness or swell of emotion at the end than I do because something's sad, you know? Like, so like, like, okay, Bill Pullman, this will be our Independence Day. That's a bad example. That's not true at all. Okay, so you didn't cry at that. <laughs> no, I was trying to make you laugh. Okay. All you did was mystify Because that's the thing, is sometimes you get, you well, uh, we'll talk about this on the other episode, but sometimes... This, this, fiction, this Phantom episode we may do at some point. Yeah. Sometimes you well up at things I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? And uh, and it's almost always yes. Like trying, I'm like, you, aren't you happy? Good <laughs> things are happening. So yeah, I could see you. Uh, you know, a big speech sometimes makes you well up, and maybe that terrible thing from Independence Day. Yeah, uh, no, would do it. A, that, was a, that was a joke. But no, I, I mean, I know I've brought up the West Wing a lot lately because I've been rewatching it a yeah. lot lately. Uh, but there's plenty of things that are just some sort of like triumphant, like America is great speech that really get to me. You know, there's we bring up the West Wing far too much, but uh, David is currently working through it. And I've, you know, working through it sounds like he's dealing with it emotionally. But it's uh, that that show, oddly enough, I don't think ever made me cry or even well up a little bit. There's for the first two seasons, there's probably more episodes (laughs) that I tear up at the end of than than not. Oh, my gosh. You know, but it has more to do with like it's not. Some sad thing. Sometimes it is, like the end of yeah. the state dinner when there's when he's talking to the guy on the boat in the middle of the storm who's yeah. certainly going to die. You know, that's yeah. sad. That's pretty rough. But it's more like like Sam's speech, you know, in somebody's going to emergency, somebody's going to jail about yeah. you know uh, this country's an idea that has lit the world for two hundred years, and this ground holds the graves of those who gave what Lincoln called the last full measure of devotion. That's the kind of thing that really. <laughs> really gets to me. 
Oh my! And the fact that you took the time to memorize it is really uh, something. I've watched it a number of times. It's, it's yet, one of my favorite yet, episodes. I've never watched seasons five, six, and seven. We'll get there, buddy. I the more I mean, in this rewatch. I started this rewatch with my girlfriend who's not seen any of it. Yeah. With the intention of once I got to the end of season four, which I've seen, yeah, I've seen these four seasons plenty of times. Yeah. I would then finally venture, you know, wade into the muck that is the non Sorkin seasons. And the further I get into it, the more I feel like I can't do it. I don't think I can do it. You got to do it. I don't think I can. You wade through the muck of season five. But it's because, here's the thing. Even if the show gets good again, which I believe you when you say it does, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be good in the same way. Or it's not going to be good in the same way to me. Because what I love about the show is not only Sorkin's writing, but more so Sorkin's worldview. Yeah, the way that he feels about America is the way that these characters feel, and that's what draws me to the show is a patriotism, essentially, well, a specifically intellectual brand of patriotism that you that is very rare, and I can't imagine. I mean, that's what Sorkin brings. I can't. I can't imagine it existing in the later seasons. Well, we'll talk more about this on an episode that we do about the West Wing. <laughs> or you know every episode since probably 190 I would say. Oh, here okay, here's the deal. Okay. I, I want to poll the listeners. Okay. Um twitter.com/thepretension. Okay. At reply me and tell me whether or not I should watch seasons 5, 6 and 7 of The West Wing. <sighs> You're going to get now I'm going to look bad cuz all these other pe- all right. What? How are you going to look bad? I'm going to look bad because so many people are like, oh, yeah, Sorkin's the best. Oh, he's my favorite person. Excuse me. I need to go into the other room. Like, it's <laughs> – like, that's – and, you know, there's a lot of great characters, a lot of great uh, moments in the later seasons that uh, that I really love. And there's, like, a nice campaign thing going. There's a lot of great things happening in the later seasons. But because it's not Aaron Sorkin, a lot of loyalists are going to be like, ah, Tyler's an idiot. Tyler's so wrong. I hate him so much. I'm going to stop listening. But is I'm the, sorry, I, I I went off into it. But a, even when it's good, you you know you understand what I'm saying. I do understand what it you're saying. Absolutely, have, it can't have that. It doesn't have the same speechifying and patriotism. But they do. Ah, oh, I don't want to talk about this. We, <laughs> we we we're talking not not only are we off topic, we're off what we're supposed to be discussing, which is movies. You're, you're right. All right, we'll discuss it another time. I guess. <laughs> next episode, we'll talk about it next episode. Okay. Um. All right, so, uh, but what I wanted to mention is that, like, when I was making the list, these are movies that that have exactly what you're talking about with uh, The Illusionist, mm-hmm. which is, there are no hard-hitting, well, there are some in mind, but, like, there are very few hard-hitting moments like, this is the sad moment. Mm-hmm. It's more just this general, I believe you called it, did you call it a haze or a fog or something? I think I said mist. Mist, thank you. Um and I would say just, I don't know, that's that's a good way to to describe it. Because in the movies that it's I... permeating. That's, that's a, yeah, that's the way to describe it. Because it's just something that the characters are just in all the time. They can't get out. Yeah. Um, that's the one, those are, that's how I would describe the ones on my list. And I find that in looking at this, it's either because of two things. Something has happened to this character, these characters before the movie. Mm-hmm that has essentially ruined their life in some way, and now they just have to deal with it. Like, yeah. I, Even though it's not a perfect movie, but Tim Robbins' character in Mystic River. Oh, yeah. He, you know, that's... it's. There's a certain level of happiness he's he's never going to be able to get to because of what's yeah. happened to him. Um, and in spite of the fact that he has a wife and a child, 
Yeah, he'll only. I think. I think his ceiling is like sixty percent. Right. For everyone else. Yeah. Um, but then, or, or there's the opposite where there's a sort of a sense of inevitability. Yeah. Um, and this, I'll talk about uh, Kimberly Pierce's "Boys Don't Cry," which is an overlap which of movies that I actually right. cry at, but is just a generally sad movie because you get the feeling that 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 Brandon Tina is, uh, even though it's never spoken out loud, he's trying to wring as much joy as he can out of his existence because he knows there's got to be an expiration date on on this sort of guys that he's. Yeah, you can't. He's he's going to get found out, and it's not going to go well. But it's worth it for him in the short term. How long? I mean this 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 question might even seem kind of crass, but almost like how long did Brandon Tina keep it going for? I don't. I don't, I don't remember. I, like a year? I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. And that's yeah, me too. I think when we did movies that. Great movies that we'll probably never be able to watch again. I'm pretty sure Boys Don't Cry was online because it's yeah. a, it's a fantastic film, but I could not bring the Yeah. I just can't do that to myself. It's <laughs> it's very taxing. It's pretty rough. Um but uh yeah, I um yeah, the uh, the idea of inevitability um is oddly enough, I I came up with two so let's uh, start with that one. Let's start with inevitability. Okay, I came up with two Orson Welles films, oddly enough, um, but not one right after another. I just kind of came up with them separately. One is Touch of Evil. Now, Touch of Evil is not a sad film, but everything about Orson Welles' character, Hank Quinlan, the corrupt cop, he just exudes sadness and just contempt, uh-huh. and he's like he's the he's the villain. But he's a villain that you just feel so terrible for. Like he, his wife was murdered years before, and you just get the, the impression that he's been going through the motions probably ever since. And he, like I said, he's corrupt. He fakes evidence, and you know, it's only a matter of time before this guy goes down. And when he does, you feel like the person that will be least sad about it will be him. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's like his character is always to me the the most intriguing and it's not only because I like Orson Welles as an actor um but just there's so there are so many layers going on there but it's just uh I, I can't make myself hate him I think he's one of the great villains because more than anything you just feel he's just pitiful mm-hmm. like he may be a very he's a very imposing presence he he murders people in the film um but and and on top of all that, like Wells actually like padded himself out so that the character looked very fat, and of course, Wells would get that big, if not bigger, later. But like he oh, he made oh, the bigger, much larger, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, like he padded himself out so that everything about him just makes him look very large and forceful, yeah. which makes his actual personality seem just so. Just it's such a stark contrast that he's so almost childlike in how sad and pitiful and pathetic he is um and so it's not the whole it's not the whole movie but his character is just such a powerful force that like it's the it's the third film i wrote down here because there's just he knows the choices that he's made he's not happy about uh he's not happy about them but he's just gonna keep going because well it's too late it's too late to stop now yeah what you're talking, 
it's funny. Most of the ones that I have on my list that have to do with this inevitability mm-hmm. are different than that in that it's characters trying to wring some happiness out of uh, mm-hmm. before the the sword drops, as it were. Yeah. But what you're talking about is a sort of resigned. Yeah. And then and then there's just a sense of duty. Yeah. And another one. Um, I think you'll understand what I mean, even though duty. It you know what? I'm sorry. I'm, I want to interrupt you. Duty is almost too positive a term. Obligation. Right. Okay. I would say. Okay. And one that I think falls into this, and I'll see if you agree. I think you'll just know what I mean when I say it. Okay. Uh, is just is William Shakespeare's Othello. Oh yeah. That uh, Othello knows this isn't going to end well. He's yeah. be- pro- because he's a Moor. Probably it's yeah. Uh, it's not going to end well for him, but he has been wronged. And so he has this obligation, even if though, even though, by pursuing justice or whatever he's doing, he might even be making it worse on himself in the long run. Yeah. But he just has to do it. Like I don't think, I don't think at any point, Othello thinks that things are ever going to be okay between him and Desdemona right. again. <laughs> right. But he just feels like he has an obligation to. Yeah. Yeah, I'd uh, say that's absolutely absolutely right. It's odd that you bring up Shakespeare because here comes the second Orson Welles film. Chimes, at, chimes at midnight. Oh, well, okay. yeah, yeah. Second, uh, that's right. I was, I was like, which which version is he talking about? Oh, right, uh, <laughs> the other Orson Welles film. Uh, chimes at midnight is what I was going to bring up, which is based on several plays, um, and that one also has that the inevitability uh, when it comes to specifically the relationship between. Uh, Prince Hal and Falstaff uh-huh. because and and it's one of those things where trying to, it's a combination of trying to wring happiness out of the situation because it's very much like a father and son or more maybe more specifically like a like a fun loving uncle and a nephew um, and they just they're you know they're buddies and they just get in all kinds of crazy uh, adventures but they both know that at some point Prince Hal is going to become the king. And when that happens, he's going to have to push this this old, drunken, cowardly man aside and and continue on with his duty, with his obligation. And they both know it. They don't say it. But it's, it's always there. And and it makes the eventual... I don't know. It When it finally happens, it's very heartbreaking. It's very sad. But at the same time... We they knew it and we all knew that this was what was going to happen. And Falstaff seems resigned to it in a sad but also positive way because he knows he's on this kid is going on to gr- bigger and better things and he's going to be great. He has no use for me anymore. In mm. fact, I will only bring him down. Getting rid of me is the best thing for him. But where does that leave me? It's a really it's and and that that knowledge that we have and that the characters have it does as you say permeate it permeates the whole film so even when there is funny you know funny stuff going on and there's revelry and all this kind of thing we all know there's there's an expiration date on this it's kind of like the relationship between the two leads and beckett oh yeah absolutely um but i want to i want to now pursue this idea of trying to wring as much happiness as you can out of the situation before it inevitably goes wrong which is of course is something Shakespeare uh, exploited Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Um, but this idea of doomed love that comes from Romeo and Juliet, you see it in plenty of other things. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge, mm. uh, which is a very bittersweet movie. I mean, 
they're singing and dancing the whole time. Yeah. But uh, the palette of the film is very is is very dark. Even the red uh, the red is more, you know, blood colored than. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there there's a there's definitely a some sort there's something hanging over uh, that whole film. Yeah, it's. I mean, for for various reasons, it's a film that never lets you relax. Uh-huh. I mean, you always. It might be like this very festive thing, but at the very least, you're always. I won't say uneasy, but you're always on edge. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, and there is, and of course, there's a lot of melodrama in Moulin sure, Rouge. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, it's just because there's a couple things going on where not only is there the. Um, Oh, it's been a while since I've seen it. Richard Roxborough's character. Yeah, the the Duke. Is he the Duke? Yeah. Okay. I keep I kept thinking the Count, but that's different. Okay, so he's the Duke and, and he's trying to keep them apart, and you know that even if they overcome this, uh-huh. she's still gonna she still has She has uh, the consumption. She has the consumption, oddly enough. Yeah. And um and not uh the consumption, is that uh like tuberculosis? Okay, all right. I guess. And what's the vapors? I don't know what the vapors is. I think the vapors just means my corset's too tight. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but, uh, but I always got those all those uh, terms mixed <laughs> up back then. But yeah, there's just and I and and she knows she's dying, but she doesn't tell him for a long time, no. right? No, and then even when like uh, uh, I feel like Jim Broadbent is one of the sadder characters in the movie because he's yeah. sort of this clownish sort yeah he has to like in the you know in the madonna number he has to like be very outgoing but it's all because he's selling this thing and trying to keep his his thing afloat yeah uh and then when he does the queen song the show must go on like that's one of the saddest parts of the movie and that's sort of the bridge of these two types of inevitability we've talked about like uh just obligation and pushing forward and also trying to have fun before Everything comes crashing down. Uh, another star-crossed lover movie I want to ma- mention is Brokeback Mountain. Oh, yeah. Which does, again, this movie that definitely makes me tear up at the end. But it's mm-hmm. sad most of the way through. Once yeah. It's very joyous when they're on Brokeback Mountain Yeah, at the beginning. And then pretty much from the moment that Randy Quaid finds out about them, yeah, the rest of the movie is pretty sad. Yeah. Uh, because... It's just this reminder that they're never going to be able to be happy in this world. And the 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 few scenes that they have, like I think it's the first time they see each other after that, and they, I mean, they immediately start like making it. it in a, it's very ill advised. Like they're out, they're not even inside, they're not even indoors. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, but a moment like that, which seems happy, uh-huh. you know, that's like ah, uh, it, it. There's sadness even in that happiness. Yeah, because you know that this is going to have to end, and you can only do this for so long before someone finds out, and then it's gonna, you know, I mean, then it's gonna hurt their wives, it's gonna hurt their children, it's gonna hurt them. It's like there's there's a lot of people that that are going to be affected by this, and but that's the thing is, and the only way for the for it to not be that is to keep it secret, which is by de- which is sad in and of itself. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot going on with that film. It's very mournful. Yeah, Michelle Williams is in a way the saddest character in the movie because yeah. she never had a choice. Yeah, it, you know, not that not that being gay is a choice, but uh, 
but having sex with someone or starting a relationship with someone, that's a choice. That's that's what I mean. I haven't seen that movie since <laughs> I saw it in the theater. I want to make sure that I don't get... I only want to get Twitter messages about whether or not I should watch the last three seasons of The West Wing. I don't want any messages... Uh, about whether or not homosexuality is a choice. I At know, the I know pretension. <laughs> Twitter.com slash the pretension. Um, send any emails to our intern, Matt, at battleshippretension.com. <clears throat> He'll be very confused. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. But um, Is that a real email address? Yes. Matt has an email address. Yes. Go, Matt. Um, all right, one more I want to talk about. Okay. And this is, uh, this is okay, this is a great film. All right? Okay. In that it's about... Uh, it's about characters who are trying to have as much fun as they can as they can before their fun ends. Okay, but they don't know that because they're kids. But we know that because it's narrated. Okay, and this is Stand by Me. Stand by Me. Yeah, uh, is that on your list? No, you, it isn't. You just knew where I was going when when I said when you yeah just when you said they're kids. I'm like, oh shoot, why didn't I put that on my list? No, that's absolutely yeah. It's uh. Because that also has the nostalgia thing, and right. all of us, when we think back to what was, what life was like right. when we were children, we're just like, "Oh, if only we'd known." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, youth is youth is wasted on the young, as they say. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a. Uh, you don't have anything more to say about Stand by Me. Well, it's on your list, not mine. Okay, I said uh, what I was going to say. No, but I thought you were changing the subject. No, no, it's fine. Uh, it, it's it's sort of um. This this idea of uh, things ending inevitably uh, is symbolized in the film by the fact that they're going on their way to see a dead body. Yeah, and it's not a dead old man; it's like a dead kid. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, uh, a little, like, little bit older than that, l- just a slightly older than there. Yeah, um, which is uh, certainly intentional. Yeah, you know? every every minute older you get, then the you know there's a the you that existed a minute ago is now dead. And there's a You're blowing my mind, Bax. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and you it's... Know, and then the Langoliers come and <laughs> and destroy the dead you. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, and it's and it's also very sad because it's just... It's not even just the thing about youth. Because in, a many, uh-huh. in many ways, the Sandlot is also kind of about that. But yeah. it's what these characters go through on their journey... But also the way their relationships are going to change, and you know they're not going to be the same. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe one of these will last into a, in the let's not even adulthood next five years. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's and the difference between the Sandlot. Um, I'm not comparing. I'm not trying to compare the two. I, the in Sandlot's a really good way. movie, but yeah. I think the difference is, for the most part, the adults in the Sandlot, or even just the older people in the Sandlot, are. Good people. I mean, they they're afraid of James Earl Jones, and then it turns yeah. out he's a pretty nice guy. Yeah. Um, even the older teenage boys in Stand by Me are monsters. Yeah. Like it, it's a really like negative view of getting older. Like once you lose your innocence, it's gone, and you're you're no good. Yeah. Is kind of the point of Stand by Me. That scene where Kiefer Sutherland turns into a vampire is pretty rough. In Stand by Me. Yeah. 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 And then Corey Feldman has to like stop him. Whew. It'll never be the same again. Man, I love that game. Innocence anyway, lost. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think of uh, if there are any... Oh, go ahead. I was going to transition. Okay, go ahead then. Um, you talked about obligation. Yes. We've talked about it so far, an obligation of pushing forward even though it's not going to end well. Yeah. But I want to switch gears to this other, this other vein of sadness, which is 
uh, this is my lot in life, either because I've been molested like Tim Robbins mm-hmm. or because I was born into a British class system and I am a butler like in The Remains of the Day. Which I haven't seen. I don't know why. You I would know. love it. I know. It is so for you. You know, every time you say something like that, I feel like it's an insult. It's not, because I, I also love The Remains okay. of the Day. It's a, it's a really fantastic movie. Um, and, you know, uh, the, but the main character in the movie is not the rich guy, mm-hmm. uh, played by Christopher Reeve, who does a great job. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the butler. And there's this... Played by Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, of course, yeah. Um, and that's ve- it's very much the sort of... Uh, I mean, the British are very good at this kind of sadness. The whole <laughs> stiff upper lip thing is oh, yeah. like... Uh, yeah, my my lot in life probably won't... Almost, almost certainly will never improve beyond where it is right now. Mm-hmm. But that's no reason for me to not do my job and yeah. do it well and take pride in it. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, I mean that's what that's what Anthony Hopkins plays very well because this this was back at a time when Anthony Hopkins was actually acting and not just being Anthony Hopkins from role to role. Hmm. Or do you think he was always doing that? We just hadn't caught on yet. May- yeah, maybe he was just always being himself, but has just gotten crazier. Maybe <laughs> okay. that's the case. I saw no, the but- Wolfman. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. There's none of that type of like. Uh, like the the whole glint in the eye whispery thing that he does yeah. now uh this is a real a real damn performance and the, and it's actually Anthony it's, Hopkins is actually in another movie on my list the elephant man oh yeah uh which is very much not an Anthony Hopkins type of role as we understand them to be now no not at all yeah and that's that's what's great it's i'm sure have we done an episode on like actors who have lost it uh yes we did Burnout or, f- or fade oh, away. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anthony Hopkins is in that category with Robert De Niro. Is like, oh, there was a time when they didn't just play the version of Robert De Niro that you already have in your head in every yeah. movie. There's a time when he was taking varied roles. I mean, what if you're like someone new to film and you have a certain idea of Robert De Niro? Watch Mean Streets. Be blown away yeah. by the fact that he doesn't play the character. Like he plays the Joe Pesci character. Yeah, not the Robert De Niro character. Yeah, it's. Uh and I just recently rewatched Raging Bull, uh-huh. and uh, which is also actually I, that didn't make my list, and it should have because <laughs> all, all of these characters are just damned uh, right. by uh, you don't like any of them, and uh, you just you're like Ugh, I want nothing good for you, um, but they just are just keeping on because because I'm of the opinion to bring this back into uh, into the the topic, I'm of the opinion that like. If people looked at my life, if people looked at my marriage or what I spend my time doing, would they see, would they think like, man, why doesn't that guy just kill himself? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, because it's easy, it's easy for us to look at a character in a movie or quite frankly, other people that we know and say, man, I'm glad I don't have their life. And then we go and deal with our life and we make these little compromises or we have these obligations that we have to carry, you know, carry out. Um, and I find myself wondering if, if people looked at, at me, with, you know, I, 
uh, I don't think I've mentioned what my job is uh, on the show, but you know, I'm a I'm a photo editor, and I edit photos of uh, pregnant women, <laughs> and uh, and of course, after they have the the baby, of you know, them holding the kid, and it's really adorable and all that. But like, not like immediately after they have the not baby. immediately. No, <laughs> okay. it's not all like uh, you know covered in anyway. Yeah. But uh, let's not go into that. But like, you know, there are some people that would say that's a really depressing job, and and. Uh, what what is this guy doing with his life? Oh, and he does a podcast that doesn't he doesn't get paid for two of them, in fact. And uh, oh, he's clinging to this podcast award nomination that li- he even he says means nothing. And just like to be fair, though, our podcast does at this point pay for itself. Yes, it does. So we make that we're clear. no Thank longer you very much for your donations. Indeed. They are very much appreciated. We're no yeah we're no longer no longer yeah. out of pocket on this. Exactly, this we're, podcast has gotten to a point where it is self sustaining. It is no longer bleeding money. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's the thing. It's just from a certain angle, almost en- almost anybody's life could probably seem like the most depressing, saddest thing ever. And so a movie like, um, like Raging Bull or, I don't know, or some of these other movies, or Remains of the Day or whatever, this is the only life these characters know. We bring ourselves to it. We bring our own lives. We bring our own definitions of happiness to it. And maybe that's what makes it even sadder is that these characters don't know how sad it is. But maybe that's maybe that's a maybe that's also a hopeful thing is, hey, this is all I know. And this is what I'm going to do with that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you uh, I'm not sure if there's any if you could have a, a take on what I'm saying. But uh, is there anything? Worth talking about there? Wait, uh, rephrase it. Rephrase what? Like, okay, what are you saying? The, Just the idea that, like... About knowledge? That the characters... Because a character living in a bad situation, and they know they're in a bad situation, uh-huh. and try to get out of it, well, then you, you have a... There's, there can be sadness in them not getting out of it. But then there's characters like the ones in Raging Bull, or Remains of the Day, who... They don't know anything else. It never occurs to them that, wow, the choices I've made and the life I'm living is pretty awful. And this Mm -hmm. is not at all satisfying. It doesn't occur to them. And so is it do you think it's sadder for them not to know the situation they're in or for them to know it? It's it's sadder for us if they don't know. It's sadder for them if they do. know. Okay, I guess that's that's the difference. All right. Um, But this idea of being stuck in. Uh, I hadn't intended on talking about class, but we talked about Remains of the Day and now yeah. Raging Bull. This idea of being stuck in a certain class is not just for the lower classes. Right. Um, um, if you look at uh, one aspect of Dead Poet Society, mm. uh, most people have seen it. There's a suicide in the film. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like part of that is a class thing from the other, the other oh, yeah. angle. These are incredibly rich people, and because this sort of uh, American version of, like, aristocracy yeah. says that this character, I won't say who in case people haven't haven't seen it, but yeah. I'm sure everyone's seen Dead Poets Society. But I don't want to get any emails. I only want emails and tweets about the West Wing. Um, it's Robin Williams. Robin Williams kills himself <laughs> about 20 minutes in. He takes And he takes Ethan Hawke, Josh Charles, and Robert Sean Leonard, Leonard with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a murder, 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 suicide pact. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, this character is sort of stuck because his father wants him to be this thing, 
He's yeah. expected to be a certain type of person. Yeah. Because that's how the uh, uh, this class sustains itself by yeah. continuing doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and so he feels like he's locked into this role, and he does realize it, and that's why he kills himself. And that's and it's the same with the movie like. Uh, as I was making my list, I really tried not to bring up the movies that I always bring up, but I can't help it. Um, Gosford Park. Uh-huh. I mean, if you're going to talk about class, you're going to talk about Gosford Park at some point. But, but uh, what? Why are you laughing at me? I don't know. You sound like a uh, uh, you sound like a like a football commentator. <laughs> if you're going to talk about you know speed, you're going to talk about <laughs> this this football player. Um, you didn't have one fast football player at the ready? Nope. Nope. Um, but, uh, yeah, and in Gosford Park, you have, of course, both classes feeling basically trapped in mm-hmm. in what the situation they've been born into. And and that that is a movie that, while it is funny at times, it's incredibly sad. Even right down to, I, I own the soundtrack, and there's a lot of great, uh, like, Ivor Novello songs on there. And uh, there's a wonderful song, and it's it's the song that the film goes out on, mm-hmm. uh, and it's called uh, I think it's called "The Land of Might Have Been," and it talks about oh, yeah. oh this wonderful place that we all wish we could go, and every man's a king, every man's a queen, and and it's called the land of of might have been. What if you'd made a different choice? What if you'd done this or that? And, and the bulldogs all have rubber teeth, and the hens lay soft boiled eggs. Oh, sorry, that's the big rock, big candy rock mountain. candy mountain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, but. Uh, I didn't real I didn't remember that was a lyric from it, but I was gonna. I assumed it was because like, <laughs> right. oh, that's delightful. I love that song. Well, you know, in the Big Rock Candy Mountain, the jails are made of tin, and you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. Here's the thing about that. How about there's no jails? <laughs> this this government on the Big Rock Candy Mountain is a farce. <laughs> um, but the uh, you know, there's a lake of stew and of whiskey too, and you can paddle all around them in a big canoe. Wait, so there's two there's, there's two, two separate lakes. lakes. Oh, okay. And you can paddle around them in one big canoe. <laughs> oh my god. Apparently. <laughs> oh, that's really something. I got to go to this Big Rock Candy Mountain which is located in the land of might have been. <laughs> but it's uh but yeah, it's that's the sad thing is that these characters maybe they made one choice at one point. There's a there's a discussion early on in the film that's played for comedy in which these various sisters draw cards for who's going to marry which guy. And uh, none of them are happy with who they wound up with. Uh-huh. And maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But uh, but none of them are happy with it. But it's the choice they made, and so this is their life forever. And it's there's just something so very sad about that. Um, yeah. I want to go two places. I'm not sure which way to go first. Let's stick with the class thing first. Okay. Um, one thing the French are very good at, and maybe to the point that they explore it too often. Okay. Um, is middle class ennui. Okay. Basically, we don't live in the upper classes or the mm. lower classes, so we don't, both in terms, uh, you know, as in terms of our class, also in terms of our experiences, we don't get the highest highs or the lowest lows. Yeah. We just sort of exist, and it can be, again, it's more ennui than yeah. sadness. It's it's boredom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the greatest films about Middle class sadness uh, is uh, Christoph Kieslowski's Blue from the Three Colors trilogy, mm-hmm. um, which is basically. Have you seen it? I've seen Red. You've seen Red, okay. No, I've seen 
the new red with Bruce Willis. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, it's is that part of the three yeah. <laughs> colors trilogy? Yeah. Um, yes, I've seen the original red as well. Um, blue is about a woman whose uh, child and husband die in a car accident, mm-hmm. and she attempts to deal deal with this by isolating herself as much as possible from society and other people. Yeah, in general, and it doesn't work. She's unable to isolate herself, and that is both that's bittersweet. Uh, yeah, which I think is kind of a through line on almost every movie on my list. There's something happy in a sad way about them. Uh, you know, I mean, she's... So uh, eventually she has to engage with other people and it makes her life worth living again, but it also uh, prods at her open wounds even more. Yeah, that that to me, I think, is is what is... Okay, this is going to be really melodramatic. This image that I that I have in my head, which is the idea of somebody crying and then forcing a smile through the through the tears, uh-huh. like that to me is sadder than someone just crying, like someone trying to get some happiness right. out of it, um, or making a joke or something. It's like, up, oh, you didn't. You, now I'm crying. Uh-huh. You making the joke started me crying, as opposed to just you you bawling. Um, I think those are usually what are most effective for me is humor or an attempt at humor in the midst of, of sadness. Um, the other way I wanted to go with this. Okay. Are uh, you still on class? No, I've got one more to talk about. Okay. Uh, bicycle thieves. Okay. Which is of course about, uh, the lowest of, of the low classes. I mean, I guess not the lowest. I mean, I honestly, I, I guess homeless is probably the lowest, but one rung above that are the characters in, uh, bicycle thieves. And um, I like the, it, it's it's happened. Like we all just call it bicycle thieves now. Yeah. But like ten years ago, less than ten years ago, when you and I were you and I were in film school, yeah, it was the bicycle thief. Yeah. And occasionally someone would say, you know, the actual Italian name is bicycle thieves, and people would say, oh, that's interesting. But yeah. now we just call it bicycle thieves. Well, and and I'm uh, glad that happened. It makes such a difference. Yeah. Uh, the title. We should do it. I don't know if this deserves an entire episode, but at some point we should do an episode about movie titles. That's a good idea. But um, he was yawning. He didn't turn turn into a, another person just now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good idea. <laughs> Gee, guys. Um, but the uh, yeah, I mean the the title all of a sudden takes on such a different connotation uh, when you see the film. But uh, the the idea here. Okay, so. Several months ago, maybe a year ago, um, I had my car window busted in and Ugh. someone stole my GPS. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. Then I went and got another car window and bought another GPS. <laughs> That's what I did. Um, the characters, because I, because I can afford to do that. You know, I'm not Rockefeller or anything. I bought the cheapest GPS. Sure. But uh, the characters in Bicycle Thieves... They can't do that. His bike is stolen, and he can't go get another one. It's me, the end. Let me ask you something about your GPS. Okay. Let's go on a tangent for a okay. second. Okay. It's a Magellan. Okay. When I when I look up directions on Google Maps, okay. I can practically, with just a switch of a button, toggle between use highways or avoid highways. Okay. On my girlfriend's GPS, that's, it's very difficult to do. I essentially have to go all the way back and change the main settings to avoid highways and then try the whole thing again. I just want to toggle back and forth, see which one, see what the difference is between the two in routes and times. Mm. Does your GPS allow you to, to do that easily? 
No, I don't think okay. so. Jen Desart, does it do that? Another thing no. I want emails, David Battleship Pretension or Twitter.com slash the pretension. I want recommendations. Is there a GPS that makes it very easy to see the difference between the use highway use highways and avoid highways routes? Because I'm not going to buy one for myself until I know I can do that. It's very important to me. I, I, I like to avoid highways when I can. Well, I'm sure it's very expensive. That's the thing is the more features you want, the more the expensive is, it's it going to be. It shouldn't be. My girlfriends can do it. It's just really involved. All you have to do is change the software so that it happens later in the process. Like Google Maps. Well, I went and bought the cheapest one that okay. didn't doesn't allow me to do that. But the point All is, right, so I want I want uh, recommendations. If anyone knows of a GPS that does that easily, I really don't like how grumpy I'm seeming on this episode. <laughs> but people, can you really blame me? Um, okay, sorry. So go back to bicycle thief thieves. Thank you. Um, the bicycle thief thieves. <laughs> That's people who steal DVDs of the bicycle thief. <laughs> Those early ones with the with the wrong title. Right. <laughs> so because uh, they're just getting rid of it. No, it's uh, that to me. It, there's a sadness there of just. I mean, because there's nothing but resignation. I mean, this guy. It's not like he had the opportunity to get this great, amazing job. He just has the opportunity to have a job, and there's only one piece of equipment that is necessary: a bicycle. That's mm-hmm. it. And then he gets it stolen, and it's, okay, can't have this job anymore. And one would say that, and and there's a resignation of, I don't know, there's a resignation to, well, I can't go get another job, Mm -hmm. you know? Because some people would say, well, I can't do this, so I guess I'll find something else. But he can't find anything else. So he's resigned himself in that way, So, but he still clings to the one thing he does have. So he goes and looks for his bike. And the idea that because of his class, because of his situation, he has to do this. He has to go and look for his bike. He can't buy a new one, and he can't get another job, and he needs to pay for food. And there is such so such depressing sadness, but it also has what we're talking about, which is in the midst of it, he still chuckles at his son sometimes, and mm-hmm. he takes his son out for like this really nice... Not a not an, a really nice meal, but a pretty nice meal to try to cheer him up, and that is more heartbreaking than anything else. It's just like, oh, you can't afford this meal, man. But he's got to, you know, he he has to try something because his son is there with him the whole time, and that's the other thing is not trying to keep, as you mentioned, the stiff upper lip for the sake of his son. And so there's a lot of layers of sadness. Um, going on, but I feel like it's rooted very much in the class thing, that this guy cannot escape. Th- this situation would not be the case if he was middle class. He would go and buy another bike. That's mm-hmm. it. But he can't. And the, I don't know, just the the inescapability, the prison-like nature of it is just uh, incredibly depressing to me. Well, s- speaking of being the lowest class of citizen in the world... Okay. I want to talk about a movie that's about being a woman. Oh, <laughs> political. Uh, no, that's no. not political. Uh, um, it's well, all Jane Campion's movies are about uh, yeah, be, the, how difficult it is to be a woman, and we will eventually be doing a profile on Jane Campion at some point. Yes, I need to see. I think eight movies <laughs> right. before I can even start. Um, but uh, so I could pick anyone at random, but I'm going to talk about the piano because that's okay. kind of the. The big one. That's yeah. the main one. Uh, uh, Holly Hunter is um, mute 
in the movie, mm-hmm. which is like the dead body in Stand By Me being a symbol for growing older and losing your innocence. Her muteness is a symbol for a woman's lack of influence over the world Yeah, uh, that she's expected to be or do with certain things. She literally it. has no say. Yeah, exactly. Quite literally, yeah. Um, and the, the the piano, I guess, falls into both categories mm-hmm. that I talked about earlier. She was born a woman. There's nothing she can do about it. Right. Uh, this in the uh, this time in this part of the world, especially, uh, she could go. Boys don't cry with it. But see, that's not going to work out. That either. didn't work either. But here, she does experience some sort of happiness. I don't even know if happiness is the right word, but she gets to live a little bit with the Harvey Keitel character, mm-hmm. even though he's not exactly a, you know, it's not a, he, he's not some like dream guy. You know, have you seen have you seen the piano? No, I haven't. You, seen I the piano. Like, you're looking at me all funny, and I realized that. Maybe well, I'm just. I, I was chuckling to myself about the idea of Harvey Keitel <laughs> being a dream guy. What I mean is, it's not like he's some saintly guy who comes along and gives her all the respect that she and women all over the world should have had all this time. Yeah, he's still a man, but he's not as bad as Sam Neill, essentially. Okay, uh, and that's that's a little solace that you can get out of life is that she's forced to be with this guy you know it's an arranged type thing Mm -hmm. this sam neill guy um and here she finds uh, this guy who's kind of kind of a brute Mm -hmm. harvey Keitel, but he's not as bad yeah but it's not going to end well because of sam neill who stands in for you know the patriarchal power structure yeah that's already in place it's very similar. I know that I forget if you saw the film. I wound up liking it so much more than I thought I would. Um, the Duchess. I didn't see it. That is a that the movie's very similar. This woman basically is. is That's Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, Ray Fiennes, and yet it's still good. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not a fan of Kira Knightley. Did you see Pride and Prejudice? Prejudice? Yeah, she's really good in it. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, I saw it, and I saw what's the other one? The terrible movie, Domino. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. No, what's that terrible one with uh, James McAvoy? Oh, Atonement. Ugh, Atonement. Kim has... Knightley's good in Bendit Like Beckham. But I don't know why... I think she's good in Pride and Prejudice, and I think she's very good in uh, in The Duchess. Okay. Um, but I just I'll... don't know why people insist that she be uh, placed in period, period pieces. pieces. Yeah, that is... I feel I... like she's a contemporary actress, and Domino aside, she's great in Bendit Like Beckham. Because she's playing kind of like a tomboy and yeah. uh, very much someone of the moment of 2003 or whenever that movie came out. I recall liking her in Love Actually. Sure. Yeah, you know what? I like I like her in Love Actually as well. I mm-hmm. forgot about that. She's a very modern woman. It sounds like you uh, you just really... Yeah. And it's not her fault that Domino is terrible. No. <laughs> she does her best. <laughs> it's... I, I don't know whose fault it is. I guess the director's, but I feel like it's beyond him. I feel like there are forces going on that... Yeah. Uh, that but influenced that film. And you know what? She's also, I like her in uh, Pirates. Yeah. And I think that's where people got the idea that she should be in these period pieces. But Pirates is like an alternate dimension period piece where people kind of act very modern like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's why it works. But I just, Pride and Prejudice is mostly a good movie, mm-hmm. but I don't think she's great in it. And uh, Atonement was just a slog to get through on every level. Yeah, I like uh, I like some of the music. I like some of the cinematography, and I like uh, the performance of the little girl, Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. You looking forward to Hannah? 
I've, I I haven't watched the trailer for it yet. I haven't watched the trailer either, but it sounds cool. Um, but anyway, uh, in the Duchess, yes, it's very much the same as as the piano. Uh, it sounds like where this woman is married off to this duke, and he is rather brutal and has no really no interest in fulfilling any of her dreams. So she has to sort of fulfill her own, but only up to a point because he won't let her do certain things. And it's really. And anytime she tries to exert, like her, like any kind of force uh, with her personality or anything, because her husband still goes off and, and like has affairs, and there's a man that she loves, and she says she actually tries to like strike a deal with the duke and say, "Tell you what, you can have this with this woman that you obviously love, and you don't love me." I will have this thing with this guy that I love and I don't love you. We'll, that way we're both satisfied, uh-huh. but for appearances we can remain, we'll remain married. I'll make all the appearances you want and all that. And it just seems like, all right. And it's near the end of the movie. It's like, all right, this is going to be, uh, I guess this is how it's going to end. Uh, no, that's not <laughs> how it ends. The Duke, like, just the concept of her just even the like uh, the slight slightest whiff of her dictating something to him just completely sets him off and uh it's just a very and and that's when you realize just how sad this woman's life is mm-hmm. is that she's smart she's probably smarter than than any of the other any of the men that she's involved with uh she's smart she tries to be independent but that only goes so far um, it's a very, it's a film that it, when I started watching, I'm like, this is not that interesting to me, but, uh, man, it really won me over and it is very sad and very, uh, yeah, very, I, I do feel like inevitability and inevitability. And I'd say inescapability is a theme. in one of the things we've been talking about, yeah, because a sad circumstance that you can get out of, well, now you're not sad, which is one of the reasons why I don't. I don't consider Slumdog Millionaire to be a sad movie. Right. No, I don't think it is. Um, but it's amazing how many people say it is. They're like, that movie's so sad and depressing. I'm like, it's he becomes infinite. Yeah. He be- the, and I said that I remember responding with, a movie is about how it ends. Or that's, that's how you know what a movie's really about, is the note that it ends on. Yeah, I guess I can see that. I'd say by and for the most part, I'd say that's what yeah. it is. Um, okay. Unless it's a movie with like a really crappy tacked on ending, like uh, other people's money, but uh, which is a very uh, which is a very cynical film. Yeah. And then they tack on a really happy ending. It's like okay, the studio got involved with that one. Yeah. So that's not what this movie's about. But a movie like Slumdog Millionaire, it's very sad and there's loss and there's all this other stuff. But this guy, through force of will and the idea of it being written, as it says in the film, uh, is able to get a lot of money and the girl. Which yeah. is the, the which she's all all he ever wanted, but he got this other amazing thing thrown in. You know, what movie falls somewhere in between. Hmm. It's definitely has a happy ending, but it's also the happiness comes in like accepting that you're never gonna live up to all your dreams. Okay, uh, and that's it's a wonderful life. Oh yeah, which is I think is for most of it is a very sad movie. You yes, know? I mean all these things that happened to him, like him. Losing his hearing or having a you know a sore ear as he calls it yeah and then that awful pharmacist guy who smacks him in the ear yeah Remember that you know and he's like pleading with him don't don't hurt my sore ear again oh that part just like tears me up yeah um but yeah in the I mean 
It's just like family Christmas movie every year, but it's like a movie that starts with a guy about to kill himself. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes through his horrible life. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he realizes there's a nobility and joy to be found in settling for what you have. Well, Which I think is a good message. There is, and also recognizing the greatness in what you have. It's not like he's in a in an unhappy marriage with right. hateful children, right? You know, and a job that is not that is that is not at all rewarding. You know, it's it's not about merely settling. It's about finding the good in something that is obviously good that was previously ignored because it's not what you thought. It, it doesn't fall into what you wanted, right? Um, but it, yeah, but I, I. But there was a lot of and, sadness there too. And it's a movie about, you know, the uh, the average American male wants to be George's brother, not George. Yeah, he wants to be the war hero. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, so there's there's something almost subversive in, or maybe not even subversive, just like all right, time out, time out, time out, guys. I know yeah. what the American dream is, but yeah, it's pretty good to just be, you know. Yeah, uh, you could do a lot worse than this guy, and maybe only 10% of you are going to be George's brother. Chances right. are most of you are going to be George, and that's actually perfectly okay. In yeah. fact, in many cases, that's great. Yeah, at least you're not his drunk uh, uncle who Ugh. lost the money. Ugh. Hate that guy. I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we should wrap up. Um, okay. I want to real quick run down a list of the movies that I didn't get to that I think are worth seeing or, or okay. mentioning, and this is just... A part of me not getting emails saying, why didn't you mention this? Yep. Like I said, I want emails with the West Wing or GPS this week. Um, but I you know, I didn't get to Casablanca or Wally um, or Ordinary People, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, The Sweet Hereafter, mm-hmm. uh, Edward Scissorhands. Those are, those are some of the big ones I didn't get to. Okay, here's what I had. Um, and one thing that I... I feel like we could talk about movies about loss and movies about grief and mourning uh-huh. and this and that would actually take care of a lot of the movies on my list because w- when you're grieving that that puts that that puts you in that mist that permeates your whole life and so a lot of the movies on that I have not yet talked about and and won't talk about they're sad but for a very specific reason okay. which is in many cases loss so i think we can probably put that into another episode loss and grief yeah loss and grief and uh so yeah i've got sweet hereafter uh i i probably could have mentioned 25th hour there's a lot of loss there because of september 11th right. but there's also that idea of trying to get what you can before the inevitable happens right. so i could have brought it up then um about schmidt uh i find nashville to be a very sad film uh ordinary people which actually has that, a... I said that, right? You did. Yeah, okay. But I specifically wrote hopeful ending at the end, much yeah. like Slumdog Millionaire, where the, these characters are not out of the emotional woods, but they're on their way, and what they had to do was remove a member of the family, which was Mary Tyler Moore's character. Mm-hmm. And so it's very sad, the sacrifice that has to be made for them to make any kind of progress. But it's assumed that progress is going to be made between father and son. Let the record state that I did not spoil Dead Poet Society, but Tyler spoiled Ordinary People. Ordinary People is now 31, 31 years old. Years old. <laughs> Dead Poet Society. 17? Um, let's see, it came out in 89, so that's 21 years. Dead Poet years. Society is that old? Yeah. Wow, I thought it was like mid-90s. No. Wow. I know. Yeah, uh, by the way, uh, if anybody wants to, uh, one, every year, like on January 1st, I'll make a list of the movies that are now officially 10 years old, and uh, 
So if you want to go over to the blog for more than one lesson, you'll find it. Uh, be prepared to be very depressed. <laughs> Only if you are bothered by that sort of thing. Uh, not not incredibly depressed or anything, but it, it's it's very strange that movies that define that really defined your youth or defined a certain time in your life are now a full decade old. Yeah, but uh, but I I, I think. I'm more surprised by the ones that are 20 and 30 years old. Yeah. But I remember the first time I ever felt the first time I ever felt that. Mm-hmm. I was at Best Buy in 2000 and I saw the 10th anniversary edition of Edward Scissorhands and I was like, yeah. "Whoa, really?" Yeah. Uh now Edward Scissorhands is 21 years old. Yeah. Goodfellas is 21 years old. Uh-huh. But Pulp yeah, what's, what's 10 years old now? Black Hawk Down, Monster Black Hawk Ball. Down, Monsters Ball, Mulholland Drive, oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Memento, Donnie Darko. Uh, Gossard Park, yeah. in the bedroom, Sexy Beast, uh, various Zoolander is one that I put in because a lot of people have seen it. I haven't. You ever seen Zoolander? No. Oh, it's great. Um, you know who's great in it? David Duchovny. He I didn't even know he was in it. He's very funny in it. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of movies that that I remember seeing my first year away from home. Now, of course, you spent your freshman year from. Your freshman year of college, away from home. I still lived at home at the time. Right. So my movies are, what, Traffic, Almost Famous? Yeah. These kind of things. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the these are movies that I saw in the theater in Chicago. And uh, they represent for me, like, independence and, and all of that. And uh, and now those are 10 years old, <laughs> which is crazy to think. Um, and then the last two movies... Uh, that are that I didn't get to. One is the Limey. I knew the Limey was going to be on your list. I, I didn't put it on my list because I knew it was going to be on your list. All right. Again, when people say, maybe I know that I'm very sensitive about this kind of thing, but whenever someone says like, it's like you'll love it, or I knew it was going to be on your list. What the I when they say <laughs> that, what I hear is you're the most predictable person I know. Ugh. I'm joking. Knock of it course. off. Quit being so sensitive about everything. It's fine. It's I'm I'm actually not that. I I kind of play up the sensitivity. Okay, then I'll I'll be more uh, free with the with the ball busting and insults. Oh, good. Just don't do it in text form. All right. Uh, and then the last one is, of course, uh, the last one is uh, North Fork, which I think actually might fit into the loss thing uh, as well. So, um, but that is a very sad movie. You know, um, I think it was slash film not that long ago. We're we're thinking about. Uh, I guess this was a while ago um, when Zack Snyder was announced as a new Superman director. Mm-hmm. They're talking about who would you like to direct the Superman movie, okay. and I think the Polish brothers would make a really awesome Superman movie because they do have this like weird bent take on Americana, which is what Superman yeah. is kind of about. I never saw the Astronaut Farmer. I know oh, you did, right? It's, all, it's except for uh, Bruce Willis's whole part, which comes out of nowhere, is completely necessary, and then disappears. Okay, um, it's actually a really cool movie. That's very fun, strange, fun for yeah. the whole family. Um, yeah, it's, uh, this, this is, this is an interesting topic because I mean, there's a million movies that we could have gotten to and just, uh, and even, we didn't even get to all the ones on our list, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, if we missed anything, you can discuss it on the Battleship Pretension forums, or of course you can always, uh, put it on Twitter for David. That's, uh, twitter.com slash the pretension. Right. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, you can... Tyler mentioned Twitter. You can find us at battleshippretension.com or in iTunes. You can email us, david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com or the intern and Matt at battleshippretension.com. Twitter was mentioned. Uh, Tyler's Twitter is twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or in iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review podcast, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. 
And uh, now I know that you mentioned, I don't think you mentioned it on the show, you mentioned it to me. You're going to be on um, the Criterion cast soon. Yeah, I'm not sure when it'll be up. I'm recording on the 8th. We're going to be talking about Black Narcissus. Okay. And the variation on a theme that week will be sexual repression. Nice. I've, your, I've already got one. But I'll, you don't want to spoil you, I'll tell you off Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, you can hear me on the sequel cast. Uh, I was on uh, several weeks ago discussing Tim Burton's Batman. I'm back discussing Batman the Animated Series. Okay. So that was a lot of fun. Is the sequel cast, does, they don't like me? Huh? They don't like me? No, they don't like you. Oh, okay. They've specifically said uh, we don't want him. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, and I think, uh, and we've mentioned the Goebbels show. Yeah, we were on Paul Goebbels' show. That was a lot of fun, talking about the best and worst TV and other things of 2010. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, Happy New Year, Year, everybody, and uh, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.